And that's where you working as an individual versus you working as an LLC, they can go after your house. They could put a lien on your house. They can put a garnishment on your wages. If they come after your LLC, then if the business goes under, there's nothing to go after. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope with, then I roll up my sleeve. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Successful-ish. I'm Sarah Michelle, and today I'm excited to talk to my good friend, Lisa Sigmund. And I'm very excited to talk about how to legalize going into business. So many of us have either become entrepreneurs in the last few years or are moving that way, having side hustles. So I'm so excited to have this conversation. Lisa is a partner at Nobles and Sigmund. She's also the co-founder of In the Know Legal, which offers customizable templates and trainings for women entrepreneurs. Super awesome resource. She's a single mom of two beautiful children and two massive dogs and a proud member of Gen X. Lisa takes pride in her independence and her ability to provide for her children. She started her own firm right after she was sworn into practice, a crazy and exhilarating decision that allowed her to focus on the type of clients and work that she wanted. Now in her law practice with her law partner, Erin, and in the know legal, Lisa's goal is to help women starting and growing their businesses build a solid legal foundation for their business so that they can feel empowered to focus on their strengths and passions while building the life they want. Lisa, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thanks for having me. Before we jump in, uh, your favorite question, what is something that you failed at this week? All right. So what did I fail at this week? What was this weekend? Does that still count? Sure. sure. Um, So I bought the kids one of those pop-up in tech pools last summer, and we had just thrown it right on the grass. And of course, the liner ripped. So this year I said, okay, I'm going to get everything set up the right way. So I ordered and had two or three yards of sand delivered. And I went to Home Depot and I bought lumber and I built the frame and I rented this big, cool machine to move all the sand. And I realized I couldn't just dump the sand right on the grass. I had to put a liner down. So I'm the machine gets delivered and I'm like, oh my God. And it's a four hour rental. So the clock's ticking. I'm like, ah, I gotta go get something. So I run to the store and I'm like, yep, this is what I need. 25 feet. That sounds good. And come back and I unroll it. And it literally does one row and I need like four more. So now I'm like, okay, that's the first hour of my rental done. And I haven't done anything and I have to run back and so then I had to like, oh, do the math. It's a 16 by 16, 25 feet's not enough. And so, and then I got it done. So I, I it was initial failure with a recovery at the end, but um, I am very much, I have been told like the uh, captain of the Titanic when it comes to like a project, I'm like, we'll steam ahead. We'll figure out what happens after we hit the icebergs. No big deal. <laughs> so that was my failure. Awesome. That was my failure. That is one thing that I actually really appreciate about you is that you do run ahead with your passions and your dreams. And one of the reasons that I love working with you, I know we've worked together in several professional capacities. Um, We have also had the pleasure of being friends and um, drinking and dancing and all that fun stuff. So I don't know if you ever like go dancing with your lawyer. It's a weird experience. 
um, when someone you just had a conversation about like setting up a trademark or, you know, protecting the legacy of your company. And then you like get drunk and dance to Lizzo. It's a cool relationship. Um, but one of the, Everybody one of gets the, drunk and dances to Lizzo. Absolutely. It's hard not to. I think yeah. something's wrong with you if you don't. And one of my favorite things is that you are very blunt. And when I first met you, I was super intimidated. I remember the first time that I met you was when I was the keynote speaker at a women's business group. And you were standing in the back and just kind of staring me down the whole time <laughs> that I was talking. And it was so distracting. And I was like, I don't know if this woman is staring at me because I'm touching her soul with my story or because she didn't touch my soul. And it's just my face, Sarah. I have resting lawyer face. I couldn't interpret it. And I was so intimidated. And then I was like, oh my God, she's a lawyer. I hope I didn't say anything (laughs) illegal in my speech, which doesn't even make sense. But I was stressing about it. It's like when you have a cop behind you and you know you're driving the speed limit, but just having them there makes you nervous. Um, But I really appreciate just the way that you carry yourself is just with so much confidence. And it's kind of this, I don't give a fuck attitude, but in a warm, friendly way. And I love that when we think, especially about careers like lawyers, we think about sort of this stiff professional and I very much appreciate that you're human and that you're very blunt and honest. And anytime I want to do something in business, you're going to tell me if it's a bad decision and you're going to tell me why I need to do it differently um, in a way that doesn't completely wreck me, but in a way that is very honest and doesn't spare my feelings at the expense of my business. And I think that that strength and tenacity is something that makes you so unique in the field of setting up a business, because I think those are qualities that you really need as an entrepreneur. So I've learned a lot just from watching how you carry yourself and your personality. And I would love if you could just share a little bit of your story and how you got to where you are, how you decided to be an entrepreneur and go into the field that you're in. So once again, captain of the Titanic, full steam ahead. I started in medicine. My background, when I went to college, I got, um, a bachelor's degree in radiologic technology, and I simultaneously got my um, license as an x-ray tech. And um, so I was one of the few people in my group of friends that graduated with an actual skill set and a license to do something coming out of college. I didn't have a philosophy degree or a, you know, literature degree. And so I, I got to go to work right away. And it was actually a really great thing because uh, when I graduated in college, it wasn't a great economy. People, a lot of my friends didn't work for years or they had to take these, you know, God awful temporary jobs. And, but of course, you know, having something and, and done it actually for the first time in my life, maybe the last time in my life with an actual plan, um, I didn't end up like what I was doing. <laughs> so I switched to MRI and I was an MRI tech um, for about a year and a half. And a girl I worked with was like, oh, go to the movies and it happened to be legally blonde that we went to see and we walked out of that theater and she says to me did you know that you could go to law school part-time and I was like no we should totally do that she's like we should do that so we made an agreement that we were both going to start studying for the LSAT which is the entrance exam and then we would apply and we would go to law school together and that was where our paths diverged because she went to the library and took out a handful of books. I went to Barnes and Nobles and dropped 250 bucks 
And, you know, so she was already not committing and I was like, we're in, you know? And um, so we both started studying and then she says to me, yeah, I'm not, this is hard. I'm not doing this. And I was like, I just signed up for a review course. What do you mean you're not doing it? So I decided to take the test, see how I do. Got a good score. So I was like, eh, apply, see if I get in. I got into a couple schools. I'm like, eh, I'll go for a year, see if I like it. And I loved it. Like, I loved it. It was where I, w- I was meant to be, which, you know, kind of made my mom happy because my whole life she would say to me, you should be a litigator. And I didn't ever know what that meant. And I just knew if my mom was saying it, it wasn't good. So I was like, I'm never going to be that. <laughs> so mom was right. So listen to your mother. That's tip number one. Um, and so I love law school and I ended up um, working as a clerk. That's where I met Erin, my partner now. Um, that's where I met my future husband, now ex-husband. So law, law school really changed the trajectory of my life. Um, when I graduated, it happened to be a couple of years after the biggest law firm in Boston had broken up. So the, um, once again, the, the job sphere, the, you know, the landscape was not great um, because we had brand new spanking baby lawyers competing with lateral hires who had actual books of businesses and we were trying to get the same job. So unless you were like super valedictorian or you were one of the kids coming out of Harvard Law, it wasn't as easy for us to get a job. So um, I just decided, you know, what the heck, hang my shingle and I'll figure it out as I go. And, you know, I probably got more of an education in my first two years practicing on my own than I did in my $130,000 law school education. (laughs) That's always the way. The real life experience, there is no substitute for the education that you get when you just jump in. Yeah, but it, it gave me also the perspective that I have now where I understand what it means when you start a business on a zero budget. I started a law firm on a zero budget. Like my my credit card went deeply negative. My credit score went deeply low. Um, and it just took a lot of trial and error and learning and building. And, you know, back then, that, this was 2005, we were practicing out of my one bedroom apartment. So we weren't having clients over. We were spinning it that we were concierge attorneys that came to you. And obviously when you network with other professionals, you know, they kind of can smell the BS on that line. And they're like, you don't have an office. And we would just get so many like hairy eyebrows. Well, thank you, COVID, for proving me right that you never needed an office to begin with. (laughs) Everybody now, welcome to my world. But Um, We did eventually get an office because we were doing real estate and physically we needed space for these massive um, filing cabinets, like massive. That was the most expensive thing that we'd have in the office, not the computers, not the printers or the desk or anything. It was these massive, humongous uh, filing cabinets, but everything's digital now. I, I have a desk with no drawers. I don't have a filing cabinet. Like it's just where I started and where I am now and where the world has come to is just, it's, it's wild, but I can appreciate each phase of what it's been like. And I can take that. And that's how I'm able to be honest with my clients. Cause I know they don't have money. So they don't want me to tell them that something's going to cost, you know, three, five, 10 grand. They want me to find the affordable solution. 
Right. You know? Well, and I think at the same time, because I have similar where I started my business with no money, um, had personal crisis that made that really difficult. And I had a similar, I was really stuck on not having an office. Like I had so much shame about trying to pick up clients and being like, I can conference you from my bedroom. <laughs> like that's well, all when did you, life. when did you start? When did, what year was it? It was about five years ago. So maybe 2015, I think. Yeah. So that whole work from home movement really was probably just starting then. Yeah. You know, there still was this very corporate culture. You have to have, you know, FaceTime with your boss. And if they don't trust you, if you're at home, that you're getting the work done. Um, so yeah, yeah. And, it, and it definitely, you know, it used to be if you if you didn't have a, an office, you weren't a legitimate business. And now if you don't have a website, you're not a legitimate business, you know, like there's still these things that we kind of attribute legitimacy to rightly or wrongly. But I think this past, you know, 18 months, 16 months or whatever it's been has shown the fallacy uh, that we, right. where everything's virtual anyway, digital anyway, like We've removed the physicalness out of so many jobs. Just we've taken paper out of it. We've taken signatures out of it, you know, taken actual cash and coin out of it. So, right. Well, and it's shown that success is largely in sustainability because I know when I started off in the agency, there was a lot of pressure at our ad agency to be cool. And so a lot of the money or profits that the agency made went into things like having speakers in the walls so that there was music through the whole agency or having cool um, toys or like setting up a bar or all these different things. And I think that the same with legal, like you walk into a lawyer's office and you want it to be a really fancy office because that shows that they're successful. And that's not necessarily accurate. That could just show that they're really bad at budgeting. And they spend their money recklessly. And so it's not necessarily accurate. And I think COVID showed that with how many businesses went under in the first few months because they weren't generating enough to keep up with the overhead. And when you have to trim things down and really offer quality work, I mean, really your skill set is the asset that success should be based in. And so much now too, I just read an article about how, you know, especially with digital skill sets that um, a lot of that is going to um, outsourced freelancers and independent contractors. And it's because they're the people that are moving and learning and anyone that you hire in-house becomes almost stagnant. So the services that you need now that they're great at, when that changes, you're more likely to find an independent contractor that's fresh and new, that's caught up with it than the person that's in, um, in-house with you. So, you know, even if you don't have to have in-house staff, then you don't have to have a place to have them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a more logical business model. Um, I know one thing that is, there's a lot of misconceptions about lawyers and I'm not gonna go too far down that rabbit hole, um, but I do wanna clarify because I think a lot of people think that lawyers are just contentious and argumentative and that's not actually the case. Like the reason you hire a lawyer is to advocate for you and protect for you. Um, 
I know when I was growing up, my parents always told me I should be a lawyer and I don't think they meant it as a compliment. Like they didn't. Yeah, my, well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think my mother did either. Yeah. It wasn't like you're it so meant being argumentative <laughs> and difficult. Yeah. They were like, yeah, you're really good at arguing. You should be yeah. a lawyer. Um, and then I remember complaining about it to a friend and they were like, well, I don't know if you'd be a good lawyer, but you'd be a really great judge. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. Listening to two different sides and deciding who's right. I'd be really good at that job. And then I found out that you have to be a lawyer for a billion years to become a judge. And my parents tried to sway me um, by taking me to Pepperdine. And it was this beautiful campus. It was by the beach. There were tons of hot college guys. I think I was like 12 or 13 at the time. And I was tempted, but even at 12 and 13, I was like, yeah, I don't think I can pick a profession based off of seeing hot guys on the beach. Um, so I went a different direction, but. Picked one based off of Reese Witherspoon, fictitiously getting into Harvard. So, I mean. <laughs> way to pick a school. Um, but how do you describe like being in the profession of being a lawyer? Obviously there are certain industries where it does require a little bit more conflict, but really in contract law or business law, I'm not actually sure what label you would put yourself in. It's not super contentious. It's more protective. How would you describe the field of law that you're in? What does that look like? I take my role as, so I am, a, you know, to put an accurate, boring label on it, I'm outsourced general counsel for small to mid-market businesses. I like to shorthand that is I'm a primary care attorney for your small business because I think people like that lands, they get it. Everybody is a primary care doctor. They're like, oh, if I have a problem, I call you. There you go. That's that's what you do. But I like to think of my role. I, I can put out fires, certainly, but I would rather be working with you early on so that we're not even having fires, that I'm setting you up in a position that we're preventing fires or we know where a potential fire could happen. So we fix it before it becomes a fire. Um, so I guess I'm mixing metaphors now because I'm a doctor and a fireman. But um, yeah, I, I like to think of my role more as a preventative measure. Um, so we're more proactive than reactive. Um, setting up an, an entity, like a legal entity, if it, there's no contention to that whatsoever. That's just getting your duck, that's literally getting your ducks in a row. Um, creating a contract that you intend to use with your clients or your customers. Again, not contentious. We're not arguing. There's nobody on the other side when we're doing our work. We're anticipating scenarios and delineating what happens in those scenarios so that there isn't a question later, what do we do? It's already there. We already know. So we don't have to, especially when you get to a position where the situation of the relationship is contentious and emotions are running high, that's really hard to solve a problem in that state. I already solved it. It's already answered in the contract. So we can deflate the situation because there's nothing to argue about. We already figured out who gets what if XYZ happens. So um, rarely is what I do. I mean, which isn't to say there's not ever an issue that's contentious. You know, obviously there's an unhappy customer or I, I called myself during um, the pandemic, the scourge of brides, because I had several wedding vendor clients, florists, photographers, event planners, um, who had to deal with, okay, everything's canceled. What are we doing? And of course, they don't want to give the deposit back. Brides all want their deposit back. 
some of their contracts weren't written to address the situation at hand. So we sort of had to negotiate there. And yes, that can be contentious. And when somebody's money and livelihoods on one side of the argument and someone's emotions and their dream wedding and, you know, their disappointment is on the other side, that's tough. So I spent a lot of time resolving those conflicts and then fixing contracts so that we don't have to do that again. Yeah, I think those preventative pieces are so important. And entrepreneurship is becoming so much more accessible and common, particularly in the U.S. There's people all over starting businesses, starting side hustles, all these different things. And I know that for myself, there was no there was nowhere to go that said, here's the legal things that you have to know. I had to do a lot of Googling and researching and asking questions. And I didn't even know what questions to ask to figure out simple things. Like I'm one person. Am I a sole prop? Am I an LLC? Am I an S corp? Am I a DBA? I don't even know what these things mean. And one thing that I found um, a little bit with myself, but I'm always surprised when I talk to other business owners is that many small business owners don't take themselves seriously enough to think that they need legal pieces. They just sort of run in and do it. They don't have any kind of legal entity. They don't have a separate bank account. They don't have contracts. And they sort of assume, well, I'm just small potatoes. I'm working with friends. And I think that that is problematic for one, because you got to believe in yourself or you're never going to be successful. And for two, most altercations in my experience come from people you know. They come from friends because who needs a contract when you're working with friends and then you get personal emotion involved. So the unstated expectations that the assumptions like, well, we're friends, so they know. Right. So walk us through kind of the process of someone looking to start a business. Let's define some of these terms. And what would the first thing that we would need to do if we decide, okay, I want to go into business? So anyone can go into business. You can be a sole proprietor, which just means that you, the individual are also the business. Um, But that also means that every bit of risk and liability rests on you, the individual. Um, So what has been created to sort of create this separation of the individual from the business are your legal entities. So you can form as an LLC or a corporation. Um, There's partnerships, limited partnerships. Um, What those do is take the business and turn the business into functionally a person. So now it's you and the business person And those are two separate things. So all of your wealth that you're accumulating, ideally, right, because that's the point of working, um, is kept separate and protected to to yourself, to your person. And then any risks or obligations, contracts, debts, lawsuits that arise through the business, stay with the business. Um, And that is the point of having an entity. The benefit to having an entity is that it provides legitimacy. It's an outward expression to the world that you are serious, that you're not just somebody who's doing this, you know, for fun, for now, you know, eh. if you're setting up an entity, you're, you're serious. You're, you're making a go of this business and you're, you're dedicating your time and your energy and, you know, whatever funds you have to it. 
Um, and then the other benefit is, is that there's all kinds of tax benefits and consequences that arise when you're an entity. And, um, you know, tax planning is far outside my lane, but it is the secondary consideration. Once you know, I'm a real business, I'm a legitimate business, I want to protect myself, you set up the entity, then you have access to, you know, different tax structures, different deductions, different measures that are in place through the IRS and through your state department of revenue that you would never have access to as an individual. You consult with your CPA about making the right elections, doing, you know, the right kind of tax payments and and structuring your expenses so that you get the right deductions. You can't do that when you're an individual. The IRS does not recognize your business. So they're not going to let you do any of that. So those are really like those three things is the, the legal protection, the legitimacy, and then the benefit of the tax code, which I would ever think that would be a sentence, um, are why you would set up an entity. And it does take a team. You know, I, I'm not going to give tax advice as an attorney and your CPA should not be giving legal advice as an accountant. Yeah, I understand the basics because I have to. And the CPA understands the basics because she has to, but I'm no better at giving tax advice than Google is, you know, so. Yeah, I would add to that for anyone in business, um, your business coach is not a lawyer or a tax advisor. Your marketing agency is not a legal no. advisor or a tax advisor. That is a huge mistake that I see people make. And just because your coach has gone through the legal process does not mean that they are in a position to offer legal advice. No. And the thing is, is both with, with law and with tax planning, nobody wants to hear this, but when you pitch your problem, my answer and your accountant's answer first is always going to be, it depends. And nobody wants to hear that, but it's true. It does depend because whatever your issue is, is not happening in a vacuum. And, you know, you're, you may have a divorce going on. You may have filed bankruptcy. You may have a partner in your business. You may have an investor. And even though your best friend might've just done all of this, those factors don't apply to her, which means her solution and your solution will not be the same. So, you know, I see a lot of like, oh, I just borrowed this contract from my friend. She does something similar. Okay but she isn't you and she isn't doing exactly what you're doing. So the terms in this contract, half of them don't apply. Um, And, you know, that's like when you go look on Google, oh, I found this contract online and it was free. Okay, well, who wrote it? And what what was the scenario that this contract was written for? Like, it doesn't necessarily apply to what you're doing. Um, And, you know, same thing with accounting. Are you planning with a partner? Are you... Do you have an inheritance? Do you have a trust? Do you have second income? Is this a part-time job? Is this a full-time? You know, it just, you can't, you can't listen to the armchair lawyers, the armchair accountants, the Facebook, you know, groups. It's not a good idea. Yeah. I think that it's super important to have something that is specific to what you do and to be able to understand it because, I know that we're in a culture of people who just sign things and don't read it, but if that ever comes up in the future, or if you're in a situation where you have someone who's responsible and reads it and asks you, what am I signing? Your credibility is going to be kind of shot if you can't, 
explain it. So I think that that is a really important thing. When we read legalese, it sort of just looks like gibberish and the tendency is just to overlook it and say, okay, yeah, we're both signing just to check the box. But I think it's so important to be mindful, you're signing your name on a document. And no matter where you go, you gotta be really careful to look at what you're actually signing because often you're signing things that you never would have signed on. A lot of times when you're signing things, you're signing that they own your work or that you no longer have control over your work or that they're not gonna pay you or you know that you're legally responsible if they do something wrong. There's all kinds of things to be looking for that's so important. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about these terms. So we talked a little bit about sole proprietorship is when you are an individual. What would the difference be of moving into an LLC or a corporation? So LLCs and corporation functionally do exactly the same thing. And that's the legal protection. Um, in terms of operating and who can be in which, that's where they differ. Anyone can be in an LLC, anyone can be a corporation. Um, a corporation could be a member of an LLC. An LLC could be a shareholder of a corporation. Um, when you start making specific elections, that's when restrictions start happening. So for a single person or you know a two-person business, an LLC is usually the better choice just because they are easier to run. Um, historically, I don't know, maybe 20 years or so ago, you couldn't be an LLC. It didn't exist. Um, you were a corporation or you were nothing. And um, LLCs were introduced to basically be corporation light. So um, less formalities, less documents that you had to prepare, fewer steps that you'd have to take annually to sort of maintain that um, corporate status. So LLCs are much better for small businesses um, one owner, two owner. I mean, you can have a five person LLC. Really one. I I've done them. I, I think they get a little complicated because that's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, but corporations are easy for people to understand because I mean, you may own stock in something. So you understand like I own 10 shares of Disney. So I'm a shareholder at, you know, Disney Inc or, you know, whatever their designation is. And that's about all they know. They don't know about the corporate structure at the top, which is you have to have your board of directors. You have to have your officers. You have to, you know, there's all these requirements. LLCs don't need that. So the shareholders are the board of directors. The shareholders are the officers. There's just no distinction. There's no designation. So it's just so much easier because it's one and done. You, you're everything. Um, in terms of tax benefits, you can make certain um, designations. And so as an LLC, if you're a single person LLC, as far as the IRS is concerned, you don't exist. They still think of you as a sole proprietor. Legally you exist, you get all the benefits, but you just don't get any tax benefits. But you're allowed to say, yes, I understand that IRS, but I want you to recognize me. So please treat me like an S corporation. And then you get all the benefits and all the taxation rules for an S corporation. And that can really help with um, you know, tax planning. But then that's when the restrictions come in. It's limited to 100 members. Um, they all have to be US residents, things like that kick in. So that again is where you need to just, I, I see it online all the time. I'm in groups, you know, I mean, network with other 
business uh, women business owners and people say, oh, how do I do an LLC? And everybody's, oh, you can just do it yourself. And I, I'm just like, but no, you can't because I could go through a list of 10 things that you need to check off to decide whether or not this is right for you. The state, when you file online, is just taking your money and saying, yep, you filled that out correctly. Thank you. See you next year. They're not actually saying, good job, you're an LLC or you've done everything right. They're just saying you wrote your name correctly. Thank you for your money. Um, So that's, is trying to decide whether an LLC or corporation is right is where you need your lawyer to come in and try and decide what type of tax election to make. That's where you need your CPA to come in. That's where you pass the DIY stage of starting a business. Um, Other things that people talk about is like, oh, well, I'll just be a DBA. Well, a DBA is just a pen name for your business. It's just a fictitious name. That's all it is. It's not legal protection. Um, It's not an entity type. It's not any type of designation. It just means that Sarah Michelle can do business as HoneyMap. And that means that you can open a bank account in Hunt as HoneyMap. People can pay you a check written out to HoneyMap and you, the person, can cash it. And that is useful if you want to do branding. Um, if you just want to be Acme Inc., but you have, want to be really cool business name trademark, you would get your DBA but it's not a protection. It doesn't, doesn't do anything. Right. Right. And that protection piece is really important. That was a lot of why I became an LLC, even being a full proprietor. And it really didn't change a lot with my taxes or how I do things, but it does give that extra layer of protection. Can someone legally exchange funds for service without having a legal entity? What really separates a contractor from a freelancer from a business owner? So um, anyone can exchange money for anything as long as it's not illegal. That's just private contract law. Any contract will be upheld um, to the greatest extent allowed by law so long as it's not illegal. Um, So you know, me, the person I could offer to mow my neighbor's lawn for $50 and they paid me $50. I could become a lawn mowing lady LLC and do the exact same thing. There's no difference there in terms of how I can or can't be paid or if I'm allowed to do that exchange. Um, The difference lies in if my lawnmower smashes into their car and ruins it, me, the person, am I in trouble or is the LLC in trouble? And you always want the LLC to be in trouble, not the person. Um, And that's because if you go to court and you lose and there's a judgment, you want the business to have to pay, not the person. Um, If the business doesn't have the funds, the business files bankruptcy, the business closes, and that's that. If I'm a person and I don't have the funds, they can garnish my wages. This judgment can follow me around everywhere. I may have to file personal bankruptcy. And that's a lot worse of a situation to be in than to have a, a failed business on your in your history. Um, in terms of the difference between an owner or a contractor or a freelancer, freelancer, I think, is honestly not so much a legal term. It's just a colloquial term that's used mostly in 
the arts, like, you know, artists, writers, it's, they probably are independent contractors. Um, An independent contractor designation, there's, there's two things. One is, is it, it's your relationship with the company. And the other is your tax status. Um, The IRS doesn't care who's an independent contractor, as long as you do your 1099s and you fill your forms out correctly. If you say someone's a 1099 contractor, then that's what they are. Um, It tends to be governed by state law, which depending on where you are, the rules as to who can and cannot be an independent contractor can vary from, we don't really care at all. Anyone can do it to someplace like California or Massachusetts where it's like, yeah, good luck. Nobody's a contractor. Um, Where being a contractor versus an employee, for example, comes into play is if you classify someone wrong in Massachusetts, for example, it's a $40,000 penalty per infraction because now you're violating wage laws because independent contractors are not entitled to overtime, time and a half, things like that. Whereas employees, you have to follow the wage laws. Nobody wants to have an employee because they want to save on the taxes, right? They don't want to play the employer contribution. And then also they don't have to worry about time and a half and things like that. Well, Massachusetts tightened up that law specifically because they know people were doing that to skirt it. And that's why the penalty is so big. So in terms of getting work done as an owner, if you're an independent contractor, you can actually form yourself as an LLC. You're just you know, a consultant or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, And then you can be an independent contractor anywhere. There's no law in any state that's going to say you can't. Um, If you're an individual and you want to be an independent contractor, that's where you start running up against tough laws like California, Massachusetts, where they're like, well, are you really, you have to satisfy these things. Um, An owner of a business can be a contractor to someone else. You know, you're an owner of a business. You've done work for my businesses. You're a contractor for us. Like we're going to 1099 you at the end of your services. And so you doing the work or you hiring a contractor to do the work on your behalf is irrelevant because it still flows through the business, the the work and the pay. Um, Internally for you, it's a difference whether you get paid or you have to pay a contractor, but um, yeah, I probably went way off the rails on that. I don't know. Oh, if I just to clarify, if I am freelancing and I'm just taking short contracts from other companies as a copywriter, as a brander, whatever I'm doing, if they're unsatisfied with the work that I do, am I in the same situation as a business owner with a client in terms of legal ramifications? Does no. it? Because if you're just a person doing work, you're just a person doing work, which means you're the person individually, personally, who's liable if there's an issue. If you're a business and you're doing work, the business is the one that's liable. And that's, again, if you're going to get sued, you'd rather be sued as a business than as a person. Now, I'm going to really throw a wrinkle in on it. If you are doing personal services and um you mess up negligence or gross negligence, um, that corporate or LLC protection may not stand. The complainant may be able to pierce it and go after you personally. That's true in the cases of lawyers. So I'm formed as an LLC and I commit malpractice. I'm personally liable. They get to to kind of circumvent the um, 
the liability protection, which is why I carry a very heavy, hefty uh, malpractice insurance. <laughs> so if I am freelancing or contracting for a company and I make a mistake or a client is unhappy with work that I've done, is the legal onus on me as an individual or is it on the company that I have freelanced for? How did you sign your agreement with them? Well, I would assume if it was a freelance position, if you go in, you would be signing, I'm coming in as a freelance contractor. They're probably going to treat you as a 1099. So if you're doing work on their behalf with a a customer, the customer's complaint is going to be with the business. They'll handle it with their customer, but that does not mean that they won't turn around and then come after you to be indemnified, which is one of our favorite lawyer words, which just means to be made whole. So they lose a claim to the customer for $10,000 and the problem was entirely your fault. They're very likely going to turn around and then seek reimbursement from you for that $10,000 plus their legal expenses. So maybe now it's really more like 15. Um, And that's where you working as an individual versus you working as an LLC, they can go after your house. They could put a lien on your house. They can put a garnishment on your wages. If they come after your LLC, then if the business goes under, there's nothing to go after. So I guess the real question is, if we are not an employee and we're collecting money in any way, is there ever a reason that we wouldn't want to be an LLC or a corporation? So the quick answer is no, just be an LLC because it, there's, there's no reason not to, but there is, and again, there's that personal liability um, piercing right? Like for lawyers, for personal services. So in which case it's like, eh, is it really worth it? I don't know. And then a lot of people just don't do it because of the budget. They don't want to spend the $500 a year for the filing fee, or, you know, it might be a different fee in a different state. Um, and then they don't want to p- pay the extra tax return. I think that's a little bit short-sighted because you can budget for those. And those are both deductible expenses, but until people can get a tax benefit, sometimes they also don't want to file. Again, I get it, but they're conflating the tax status of an entity with the legal protection of an entity. And I try to talk people out of it, but I understand, I get it. Like you have a budget and it's easy for me to say budget for $500. And well, if they don't have it, they don't have it. Um, But anything you do before you set up your entity will sit on you personally until it's over or until or if the other side of that agreement agrees to transfer the agreement to the LLC. So just remember, I think of it as a barn, right? Like you have a farm and you have all these horses and then you build a barn. And then the next set of horses you get, they live in the barn, but the other horses aren't. Well, you may or may not be able to get those horses in the barn. And if you can't, they're subject to everything that happens out there. They're not protected. So the more horses you have out there, the more, exposure you have. Okay. So other than setting ourselves up as a legal entity, what are the other legal considerations that we should be thinking about before going into business for ourselves? Honestly, 
I don't know that every lawyer will say this, but I think even more important than having that entity in place, because if it is going to be a sticking point, like let's just move past that, is having your agreements in place. Doing deals on handshakes. I don't believe that that even worked way back when. I think that's just this nice, like old fashioned notion, but that's like completely fake. Um, I don't know, I guess maybe back when it was just, whatever. I, I just don't think it ever really worked. You know, I think that there was always, there's always conflict, right? There's always a mistake or a misunderstanding and handshakes don't fix that. Handshakes don't prevent that. So um, having your contracts in place, like if you're going to triage, like what do I need to do first? That's first. Absolutely hands down first. Actually, I will say that's step one, but step zero is open a bank account just for the business. Even if you're never going to set up as an entity, don't mix your money. Keep your business money and your personal money separate. So that's step zero. And then step one is get your contracts in place. And your contracts have to address, you know, what is the relationship? Am I an independent contractor? Are we a partner in this? Um, Am I an employee? Whatever you are. And then what am I doing? What are the services? What are the goods? What are the deliverables? How long is this going to last for? Is this a one-off? Is this ongoing? Is this going to automatically renew? What about cancellations? What about refunds? If we get into an argument, you can put in dispute resolution information. We agree we're only going to mediate. We agree we're only going to go to arbitration. Or, you know, if we go to a lawsuit, it has to be in this state. Um, you want to be clear on price, payment, anything that there can be confusion, be clear about it in the agreement. Absolutely. Super important. And I think part of that, besides all the legal protection and the logical reasons for that, especially if you're the business owner, a lot of times it's difficult to have clear boundaries there's this blur between your personal life and who you are as an individual and who you are as a business. And at least for me, having a separate bank account, having separate legal documents, having the LLC, it helps me sort of differentiate when I'm at work and when I'm at home so that it's not just one big blur, which has been helpful because I personally think it's overwhelming to be just one identity of having my personal stress and my business stress all together. What is your experience then with being a business owner? How do you balance those boundaries between being an individual and being a business? (laughs) Next question. Um, So, you know what? I am like everybody else. I'm addicted to my phone, right? And your phone is everything now. So even if you, for me anyways, if I want to like be like, um, put my phone down. I can't because my phone is my camera. So I want to take pictures of my kids. My phone is with me. If I want to like distract myself while I'm waiting in the parking lot for my kid to come out of dance and I want to play a game that's on my phone. If I have appointments all day, the reminders are all in my phone, right? So my phone's great, right? Because it does everything and I only have to carry the one thing, but also on my phone is all all three, four of my different work email addresses. So I'm getting ping, 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 ping every time something comes in. So I don't, I, I just went through the pandemic with my kids working at home. I mean, my kids doing school at home where I had to work early in the morning, 
not so much during the day and then late at night. And I know that that's true for other people for other reasons all the time. It's not even just the pandemic. Like that's how they have to do things. So I understand that they're going to be sending me emails at these, you know, not nine to five hours, whether or not I answer is on me. And so that has taken discipline in that if I decide I'm not answering, then I have to not answer. But if I do answer, then I can't also be upset that my time has been infringed upon because I, I allowed it to happen. Um, I really try on Fridays, like I pick a day and I'm like, well, Fridays is the day that like five o'clock, three o'clock, whatever the time is like, that's it. But then I might work on the weekends. So, you know, it's just, I don't know. I'm of the opinion that the nine to five was this really fake construct to begin with. It doesn't jive with how our bodies work. Um, you know, younger people like to sleep later and be awake later. Older people like to be up earlier and go to bed earlier. So why are we making everybody work here? And I know a lot of it has to do with, well, we have to line up with schools and, you know, I mean, I get it, but, um, if I can efficiently get done what I need to be done in two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon, why do I have to be doing something from nine to five? So I, I feel like work isn't Monday, Friday, nine to five, 40 hours. I feel like work is when you do your work and it's okay if it's for a couple hours in the morning. And then I take a couple hours and do what I want to do for myself. And then a couple hours later, I think that that's totally fine. I think at the end of the day, as long as you're giving your customers and your clients, what you're promising them and you're comfortable with whatever schedule you're doing that in. And I don't think it, I think, you know, I don't know. I think boundaries are, it, they're all blurred at this point. Yeah. I, it's a different way of looking at it. I know I've had people ask me, what are my work hours? And I always say all the time, but I can take off whenever I want. Right. And that's kind of how I've structured it. And there's been studies in most nine to five jobs, only about two hours of actual work are getting done per day. The rest of the time is putzing around the email, taking trips to the bathroom or to the break room or talking with a coworker. We're really not meant to sit and focus that long. And I'm so much more efficient when I take breaks. So it is very frequent that I go hiking in the middle of an afternoon or that I run my errands on a Tuesday when I know there's not going to be as many people. And it's also been frequent where I will work with clients who are building their businesses outside of hours. So I'll take a call at 11 o'clock at night or on a Saturday. And that just means that I have my Monday to chill. Um, so that's for me, it's been less about hours and more about projects or what I'm doing. And so if I'm hiking with a friend, I'm hiking with a friend. I'm not paying attention to work. And if I'm working, I don't have Netflix in the background. I'm working. Right. That's been really big for me. Um, other than that, boundaries like not working in pajamas. Because when I first started working from home, I was always working in pajamas. And I found that I became a lot more effective when I changed, um, even if it was into sweatpants. So I'll change like from my sleep sweats to my work sweats. And that's like, I have my day pajamas and my night pajamas. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that's kind of how it is. Um, and the other thing I think is that when your business fails, I think it's important to 
discern that that is not you being a failure. That's been a big distinction for me. If I am struggling in my business, a lot of times I carry that weight personally and I feel like, oh, well, my business isn't hitting all these successes. So I must be a failure as an individual. And that's not the case. I'm actually very successful in a lot of other areas of life, even if I'm struggling in one. How do you balance that? Do you ever feel that pressure of success and failure between yourself and your business? So, um, yes and no, I guess. Um, my, my law firm has been probably a lot different than most people run their practice and also probably different than what people would even anticipate because I've been in a situation where I've been a single mom and I've had to juggle, you know, my kids are young. So there's a, there's a lot of pull on me there. So I am not running your typical, you know, 40, 60, 80 hour a week law firm. So the metrics that people might use for success in a law firm have never applied to me, but to somebody to look at it out of context and be like, God, she's doing terrible. Like, this is awful. Um, So even though I'm not meeting industry standards, I'm meeting my standards. So I don't try to let the fact that I'm not, you know, already at 20 years have a big firm with multiple, you know, associates working for me. Like that's, I, that was never my goal. So it doesn't bother me, but, um, definitely, you know, I can see when people are like, Oh, you know, like you've been doing this that long and this is where you're at. It is where I'm at, you know, and with the new business that we launched, you know, it's pie in the sky, like, Oh, we're going to be amazing. Right. And it's a slow, it's a slow grind. It's a slow grow. And, you know, at the end of the week, we look at what we've accomplished and we look at, you know, where we're at and we're like, Oh God, taking longer than we thought. I, I can't, I can't let that be like bother me because then it would be like, well, let's just not bother. Let's just stop. And like, that's crazy. Like we've put so much into it and we're doing so much work. We just have, you have to kind of ride out the bumps and be patient and know that it's going to get better if you just stay the course, you know? And Unlike my typical Titanic, like let's hit the iceberg, you know, with I, with the businesses, I try to be a little bit more thoughtful. And, you know, it's mostly in my personal life that I'm like, <laughs> I mean, we talked a lot about sort of fear, which should not be the primary motivator um, behind legalese. It really should be based in protection and confidence, not fear. But for anyone who is thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much liability, there's so much responsibility. Why would I ever want to be a business? I would rather just work for someone else and have them have the responsibility. I think you and I both would be our own business owner before working for someone else um, at any point in the future. So for you, what do you get out of being a business owner? What is the benefit that makes all the responsibility worth it? I am personally, I am a why person. So having a boss tell me to do something, I always want the why. And 
sometimes you don't get a why. And I like literally cannot live in that situation. Like I'm like, well, I'm not doing it then, you know? And I, and I can tell you, I worked in, I worked as my MRI job. I kept that job for 20 years. I did that as my, that was my side hustle during, while I was lawyering. And I was miserable for 20 years in this job because I was an Indian and not a chief and all the, and I I don't know if you've ever worked in medicine or experienced medicine, but there's just this layer on top of layer on top of layer on top of layer of a boss, a boss's boss, a boss's boss's boss. And, you know, the guy at the top makes this proclamation. This is how things will be done. And it's handed down to the people after you actually implement it. And we're, you know, the boots on the ground and we're like, this literally is not going to work, but it doesn't matter because they said so. And I'd say, well, if you could at least give me a rationale, I could at least, and it's like, you don't get it. I, if I'm my own boss, I don't have to ask why I'm doing something because I know why I'm doing something. And I don't have to answer to someone else if I don't do something. So for me, just, I just don't take well to closed direction. So being somebody else's person has never been great for me. That aside, a character flaw being my my motivator, I I enjoy the flexibility. You know, like this morning, I got up, I got my kids to school, I sat down, I got a couple things done, and then I went grocery shopping. And then I came back and then I did some work and then I ate lunch and I did a few more things and then I got ready and I jumped on here. Like that's my day. That's the day I planned. That's how it's going. Like if that wasn't the case, if I was working at a law firm and I had to be on the clock and billing my hours, and then I'm not going grocery shopping till this evening, which means now I'm not spending time with my kids this evening. Just the flexibility is unparalleled, you know, and I know that corporations aren't the only other option, but, um, and that they are trying to reach that with their employee base now, but I don't know. I just don't, I don't, I don't like that kind of structure. I need a little bit of freedom. Yeah. I'm very similar. I'm not good at doing things that don't make sense to me, especially if that drove me crazy working for like really big global companies where we were doing things that I could see were costing the company money and didn't have an ROI. And like, I'm not trying to be contentious, but this is stupid. This is ineffective. And to not have the power or to not be able to talk to someone and say, I genuinely care about the success of this company and why we're doing this is really frustrating. And the other thing that for me is that nobody is ever going to care about me or my life to the degree that I will. So while there is this sense of responsibility where I'm responsible for myself, and in some ways it feels like it would be easier to depend on someone else for the responsibility, I actually think that's a lot more difficult than being able to say, I have the freedom to choose what I want in my life. Like I have the ability to choose if I give myself a raise or if I need a vacation or whatever it is, I can take care of myself. And no one else is, an employer is not going to care about the nuances of my life in the same way that I will. And that's been something that has changed for me in the course of being a business owner. I was so conditioned to kind of be codependent. And I never realized this until 
I was a business owner. I always considered myself a very stubbornly independent person, but there is something about truly being on your own and in charge of your own paycheck where you realize how many times you've looked to an employer, a husband, a parent, you know, whoever to kind of make decisions. And at the end of the day, the only person who's ever really there for you all the time is you. Oh, unless you have dogs, then they're always there for you too. <laughs> dogs are the best, the absolute best. Um, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise. Um, I hope that this is encouraging for anyone who is in the entrepreneurial world to get yourself a lawyer and get yourself some legal protection. Um, if you have thoughts, questions, comments, would love to hear from you. Send us an email at embracetheish at gmail.com or hang out with us online at successfulish.com or Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at Embrace the Ish. Success and failure, none of opposite ends. Curveball hits, gotta know where to bend. The attitude will affect destination. Interview determines when you're gonna make it. Live between successes, makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Live between successes, makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Hey, successfulish. Another day, another task. Think fast with a whole nother mission complete. I'm successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Successfulish. Another day, another task. Think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. All this weight on my arms need both flex. In this race, put behind me most steps. Had a sort of learning curve, hope I don't crash. It's your nerves when reserves got low cash. When I fail, realize that it won't last. You made it through in the past, just look back. Successfulish, you can see how the contrast fires and wins. Use the past and the bounce back. You can never win if you never go and do it. Figure is a hard road, rarely ever cruising. Embracing all my wins with a handful of losing. Expect the drought season when the plan's going fluent. I can never really feel it's all how you view it. It's all a lesson, just depends how you use it. Get all the data and keep it all exclusive. Never ending journey and the growth is therapeutic. My identity is not in what you see, I am the better me. Mistakes others make, I see. Happen teaching me. Compare yourself to others is an insult to tragedy. We will make unique, gotta use again collectively. Broke down my goals and a few look wholesome. Can't take them back cause you already spoke them. Easily regressive, you don't stay focused. Focus, live between success and moments. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. I'm successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. <laughs>